Welcome to the Life Tree Community Church Podcast. These are recorded during our weekly services in Robbinsville, New Jersey. Our prayer is that these messages help you grow in your personal relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ. All right. So this week we are kicking off a brand new series, and it's my favorite series ever. I'm going to give you one guess why. Dustin, you can put it up there. Can you guess why this is my favorite series? Yes. Um, it's on Daniel. We're doing a series on Daniel, which is the best name ever. Uh, if you'd like to turn in those softcover Bibles that are on your seats there, it'll be page uh, 667. Uh, we'll be looking beginning at the beginning of Daniel chapter 1. But uh, this is the best book in the Bible, period. None compare. Um, it was named after me. Yeah, I, I came first. Um, I would preach this every week if I could, <laughs> just because. Daniel's actually one of the few people in the Bible, I don't know if you know this, that there is nothing negative said about him. One of the few people that there is not a single thing that Daniel ever has said he does wrong. I mean, I'm telling you, once you hear the story, you'll see how much we have in common. It's really, really so, so close. I know we've got some other Daniels in the room. How many Daniels? Raise your hand if your name's Dan. We've got a couple of Dans in the room. All right. See? Look at Parker. Sure, you can go for Daniel today if you'd like. <laughs> Anybody want to become an adopted Daniel for the day? Go ahead. Everybody's Dan. Just on your way out today, just say, hey, Dan, nice to see you, Dan. Let's just call everybody Dan today. Um, so the book of Daniel was actually written by Daniel, um, just in case you were curious. Um, and uh, he, he wrote this a long, long, long time ago. It really doesn't matter when. I can tell you when, but nobody cares. It was just a long time ago. It was before Jesus. Um, and uh, Israel was a happy kingdom. Things were going well. Uh, you know, they were doing their thing. They had, they had kings and... Um, it was one happy kingdom. You know, David, King David, you know, we're familiar with King David. He was, this, he was the great king and everything was good there. And then King David's son was Solomon, you know, Solomon the Great with, uh, you know, his wisdom, one of the wisest men ever. Most of Proverbs come from, from him. And, and so his son followed him as king. And so basically the, the, the kings always just came from the line of David. So it was, a, it was a generational thing. It was, you know, they just continued to, to be kings and that was how God had instituted it. Um, so then Solomon had a son, and his name was Rehoboam, and Rehoboam was an idiot, um, and he ignored the advice of some of his, so his father Solomon passes, so this is David's grandson, and um, he says, you know, my father was tough on the people, Solomon, because they built the temple, they did all this stuff, he said, so what should I do? And the advisors say, well, Rehoboam, you should probably, you know, be more kind to the people, they'll appreciate that. And that's what the, the wise people said. And then he had some of his buddies, some knuckleheads. So if you ever, kids, don't ask advice from your peers. Okay? If you're going to ask advice, ask advice from somebody who knows more than you do. Like your friends know nothing more. They just know what you know. And that's it. So you're all, it's like the blind leading the blind. I know. I've been there. So he, his buddies come around and they're like, no, you should be harsher. You should be like, my, my father was nothing. Wait till you see me. Rehoboam. Oh, that sounds like a great idea. All right. Thank you, Rehoboam. So he insists on being a difficult leader, comes down, and so you know what happens to the kingdom? It splits. Splits. They go, I'm not, half people say, I'm out for that. And so at this point in Israel's history, the nation of Israel becomes two. And what you have is you have the, now Israel and Judah, which are two individual kingdoms. Now there's a, there's a civil war, right? It splits. You got, right, North Dakota, South Dakota. Something happened here. All right. Israel rejects, rejects it, says, I'm out. We no longer honor the kings of David. 
Judah, meanwhile, stays loyal, says, okay, well, we'll still honor the kings of David because they're, they just want to you know, maintain that, even though Rehoboam's an idiot. Um, so Daniel, it's important why I tell you that, because Daniel lives in Judah. So you understand for context where we're coming out of. So Daniel is, is growing up. Now the king, it's generations later, the king that Daniel is born, when he's born, he's king in, in Judah, is Josiah. I don't know if you know your biblical history too much, and it's okay if you don't, I'm going to tell you. Josiah is a good king. He's a really, really good king. So this is, Daniel is born into Judah at a time where it's not Rehoboam, it is Josiah, and Josiah is awesome. Um, this is actually what it says about Josiah in Second Kings. It says this, it says, Never before had there been a king like Josiah. It says, He turned to the Lord with all his heart, and his soul and his strength, obeying all the laws of Moses. Listen, Moses, it says, there has never been a king like him since. And that's pretty, I mean, this is the book of Kings telling you about all the kings of Israel and Judah. And they're saying that Josiah, man, he was, he was the bee's knees, right? He was it. He was a great, great king. And Daniel is growing up under Josiah. Life is good. God is blessing them. It is awesome. Good kings make for good living. Do we know this? Bad kings, bad life. Good kings, good life. All right, so everything's good. Daniel's a young man. Josiah's king experienced life under him, culture under him. Right? He understands, it shapes his understanding of God. Everything Daniel knows about life is coming from Josiah's king. The whole kingdom is, is honoring God, and that's where, that's where Daniel's growing up. But then Josiah died. And then a new king comes. And the new king got a terrible name. His name is Jehoahaz. What a terrible name. It's hard to even say. Jehoahaz. And it says this about him. Very simple statement. This is, this is his epitaph. Ready? He did what was evil in the Lord's sight, just as his ancestors had done. He was king three months. Now, Egypt, in that time, Israel's independent, but Egypt is sort of the power in the area, is letting you know, Israel and Judah do their own thing, letting them have their kings. But, is, but if anybody ever came to fighting, everybody knows Egypt would be in charge. And, and Egypt's got a pharaoh. His name is Pharaoh Necho. And, and he says, okay, well, Jehoahaz is gone. I'm going to make the next king for you guys. And I'm going to put Jehoiakim as king. And guess what Jehoiakim does? It says, he did what was evil in the Lord's sight, just as his ancestors had done. So Daniel now had grown up under this great king, Josiah. And then one day Josiah dies and everything changes. He'd seen good and now he's living in evil. Let me ask you, have you ever had something good taken away? You ever had life and it was good and then one day everything changed? Something happened. It's just not the same anymore. And you know because you used to live in the goodness. And now you're in the bad. And you know the pain. And you only are so aware of the pain because you know what the good was like. You know what I'm talking about? Anybody understand? This is Daniel. Now remember what that feels like. Think about that because it's going to help you understand Daniel's story. All right, Life was great. And then one day it wasn't. And literally everything from that moment forward fell apart. It says this, Then King Nebuchadnezzar from Babylon, 
right? So Babylon's, oh, you got Egypt here, and then you got Babylon. And Babylon comes, and, and at, actually Assyria was even higher than Egypt at that time. And Babylon overthrows Assyria. The Battle of Carchemish, if you want to follow it, it's just a crazy thing. And Nebuchadnezzar's just power, and Babylon becomes the world power at this time. And Egypt is like, hey, I want none of Babylon. I don't want to mess with that. And they're the greatest power in the world. And so Egypt runs out, and they're like, Israel, you're Judah, you're on your own. I'm out, not protecting you. Now, the Babylonians were smart. Rather than kill the people that they conquered, right? You got, you got people that are conquered. They don't just go and slaughter them all. They would harvest them for better, better lack, of a term, lack of a better term. They would take the best and the brightest and those who were from royalty. So they would take like the best and the brightest and they say, hey, listen, we could kill these people or we could reprogram them and use them for our good. So they would just take the cream of the crop, right? And this is where we pick up Daniel's story. It says this, during, this is Daniel chapter 1, verse 1, if you'd like to read it, it'll be on the screen as well. It says, during the third year of King Jehoiakim's reign in Judah, King Nebuchadnezzar of Babylon came to Jerusalem and besieged it. The Lord gave him victory over Jehoiakim of Judah and permitted him to take some of the sacred objects from the temple of God. So Nebuchadnezzar took them back to the land of Babylonia and placed them in the treasure house of his God. Then the king ordered Ashpenaz, his chief of staff, to bring to the palace some of the young men of Judah's royal family and other noble families who had been brought to Babylon as captives. And here's where you see the similarities between me and Daniel. Verse 4, select only strong, healthy, and good-looking young men. He said, make sure they are well-versed in every branch of learning, are gifted with knowledge and good judgment, and are suited to serve in the royal palace. I'm telling you, like twinsies. Train these young men in the language and literature of Babylon. We'll stop there. So they select the cream of the crop. Because right? Babylon, they're not coming in killing. They're coming in looking to, to leverage this. We're going to use these. We're going to leverage this for good. So what do you know about Daniel, right? So right now we know that he grew up in a good kingdom, went to a bad kingdom, but we know he's smart, he's good looking, he's young, he's strong, he comes from royalty. Life was, I mean, life was really good for Daniel. Then his kingdom falls apart and now he's taken as an exile in a foreign land, in Babylon, the legendary city of Babylon. This is, this is a totally new world for him. Verse 5, it says, The king assigned them a daily ration of food and wine from his own kitchens. I mean, this is the best food. Right? This isn't like, the king wants them as healthy as possible. Right? They're, they're, they, they care in Babylon about excellence. They want these people well fed. This is the king's food. It says they were trained for three years and then they would enter, enter royal service. I mean, they're not messing around. Three years of training of being indoctrinated and enculturated into, a, into this new society. They wanted you to be Babylonians. They taught you language. They taught them art. They taught them uh, food. They, they, they taught them religion and songs, their history, their values. They, they would probably have taught Daniel the art of divination, which is interpreting omens. They were really big into omens and dreams and interpreters of dreams. We'll see this come into play later. Not to talk so much about that today, but... This was part of their, their culture was very much centered around dreams. They're teaching them all this stuff. And it says, Daniel and Hananiah, Mishael and Azariah were four of the young men chosen, all from the tribe of Judah. 
the chief of staff renamed them with these Babylonian names. Daniel, which means God is my judge, became Belteshazzar, which means may Bel, which was their God, protect us. So they changed the allegiance of a God to a different God. Hananiah was called Shadrach. Mishael was called Meshach. And Azariah was called Abednego. The goal here was to reprogram the best and the brightest of Judah and to make them Babylonian. The best way to change how somebody thinks and acts is to redefine who they are. Right? You want, you want to change how somebody acts? Change who they think they are and believe they are. Who you are determines why you are. And this is a silly little kids movie. But anybody ever see Big Hero 6? Baymax is like this fluffy pillow of a robot that his mission is to, to heal and protect and everything is to heal and protect. And there's something that happens and his, his, his kid, that's like his owner, wants him to, to now hurt somebody and he won't do it. Because who he is determines why he is. And he goes, no, that's not what I am. So the kid punches his his sim card and pulls it out and pushes it another one and all of a sudden he becomes a killing machine same person but when you change who somebody is you change why they are it's this this mentality that we're going to change your name we're going to change who you are and it starts with the names but it moves to new ways of thinking and new foods and trained in culture and a whole new world and you're not in Jerusalem anymore Toto and it's different for Daniel He's taken from his home and he's immersed in a culture that's trying to reshape his identity. So think about this as a young man. Daniel's a teenager at this point, maybe 16, 17. Think about him processing this. These were going to be the king's men, fit for king's work, and it required the king's training. And Daniel and his friends, you know what, they don't resist. This is something to notice. They do not resist. I mean, what are they going to do anyway? They're captives and exiles. They're going to say no? Yeah. Squish you, right? Like, what are they going to say? But Daniel then is about to make a very peculiar request. And it's one, honestly, I've heard the story so many times in my life. My name's Daniel. I know the story inside and out. Let me tell you, this story, it's not what I thought it was. In verse 8, it says, But Daniel was determined not to defile himself by eating the food and wine given to them by the king. He asked the chief of staff for permission not to eat these unacceptable foods. Now, God had given the chief of staff both respect and affection for Daniel. But he responded, I'm afraid of my Lord, the king, who has ordered that you eat this food and wine. If you become pale and thin compared to the other youths your age, I'm afraid the king will have me beheaded. See, now now he's going to say, listen, if you eat that way, you'll really start to look like me. You're going to be pale and thin. Um, In Babylonian culture, excellence rules, right? Everything's about being the best and the brightest and the strongest. And the king on down, everybody cares about how you look, right? It's all about constantly improving. And Daniel and his friends, if they looked weak, the king would have this chief, his chief official, he would have his head. And he says, listen, Daniel, I like you a lot, but I can't do that for you. I can't risk that for myself. But let me tell you, Daniel is smart. I mean, he is really, really smart. Look at what he does. It says, so Daniel, verse 11, spoke with the attendant. He goes a step lower now. He says, okay, well, this is just like the, 
Like, not the chief of staff. I, go, I tried the head, but I'm just going to come to the guy who's directly over us, the attendant, who had been appointed by the chief of staff to look after Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. So he goes to the next guy down the ladder and he says, listen, just, I know he said no, but just test us for 10 days on a diet of vegetables and water. At the end of 10 days, see how we look compared to the other young men who are eating the king's food. Then make your decision in light of what you see. See, Daniel didn't throw a fit. He didn't stomp his foot and say, I dare, how dare you? He worked within the culture. He says, listen, I honor, I understand that this is risky for you. I don't want to make this difficult for you. But how about just a small test, a trial, just 10 days? It's reasonable. And the attendant goes, I could go with that. All right. And so he, he says yes. The attendant agrees to Daniel's suggestion and tested them for 10 days. Let me tell you, that by itself is remarkable. That Daniel got this guy to say yes. That's a crazy part of the story that we just gloss over. Daniel got this guy in Babylon to agree to do something that he's not, that's going to risk his own life for a Jewish exile. What is, how does that happen? It says Daniel was determined not to defile himself. That means he made up his mind that he was not going to pollute himself. And the attendant says, okay. So can you guess what happens next? If you know the story, if not... Let's read. At the end of the ten days, Daniel and his three friends looked healthier and better nourished than the young men who had been eating the food assigned by the king. The lesson is you should only eat vegetables and water. It's not the lesson. Donuts are really good for you. Verse 16. So after that, the attendant fed them only vegetables instead of the food and wine provided for the others. Daniel had not only asked for special treatment, it's been granted, and he looks better than the guys eating the king's food in a culture that values appearance. Think about that. They value appearance. Appearance is everything. How people look strong. And it says Daniel looks stronger than guys eating the king's food, which was healthy. It wasn't bad food. It was good food. It was just, it was just the king's food. See, Daniel's doing their culture better than they are, and he's doing it his way. And not only that, verse 17, God gave these four young men an unusual aptitude for understanding every aspect of literature and wisdom. And God gave Daniel the special ability to interpret the meanings of visions and dreams. See, Daniel and his friends excel not only physically, but intellectually, mentally, socially. I mean, they are killing it. This is a spiritual culture. They love mystical things. And guess what? Daniel interprets dreams better than everybody else. God is hooking Daniel up here. This is crazy. I mean, and this goes on for three years. Three years of this training, and Daniel just continues to excel, excel, excel. That was only ten days in. It goes on for three more years. And then comes the test. Verse 18. When the training period ordered by the king was completed, the chief of staff brought all the young men to King Nebuchadnezzar. Here they are. Here's all the men. All these guys eating the king's food except for these four. The king talks with them. And no one impressed him as much as Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. Of all the people eating the king's food, nobody looked as good. Nobody was as smart. Nobody was as wise. Nobody knew as much. Nobody had the qualities of a Babylonian royal servant. Like Daniel and his friends. So they entered the royal service. Whenever the king consulted them in any matter concerning wisdom and balanced judgment, he found them all right. He found them adequate. 
ten times more capable than any of the magicians and enchanters in his entire kingdom. This is not a small kingdom. This is the greatest force on the planet at that time in history. And Daniel is at the top. Daniel remained in the royal service until the first year of the reign of King Cyrus. So let's summarize. Daniel and his friends from Judah in a foreign culture that doesn't honor the true God, they accepted these new names, didn't resist at all. Daniel actually refers to his friends eventually by, his, by their Babylonian names. They applied themselves to learning new language. Actually, if you, Daniel did their language so well, parts of the book of Daniel are actually written in Chaldee, which is the language of Babylon. He excelled in their culture. The only thing Daniel resisted was eating the king's food. So what's the deal with that? I mean, don't you think names are important? Like, wouldn't you think, I want to not call myself by that name. My, my name is more important than what, my, what I eat, like what you call me. That's, that's more of a statement. It would have been a statement to say, no, no, don't call me Belteshazzar. Call me Daniel. But it says Daniel accepted the names. He accepted the culture. He accepted the language. He accepted the art. He, he even went into dream interpretation. He did everything Babylonian. The only thing he did different was what he ate. What's the deal with food? And here's what you need to know. Daniel wasn't doing this to remain kosher. If you know kosher, that's the Jewish, to, to honor the Jewish. You can't be kosher in Babylon. Every piece of food that would have been given to Daniel would have been first offered to an idol, to their gods, then brought to the king. And then whatever the king doesn't eat, that's what comes to the people. That's the king's food. So every carrot, every broccoli, that's not kosher. That's not done the right way. Nothing about... So it wasn't about being kosher. It wasn't about keeping himself pure food-wise. Let me ask you this. Who knew that Daniel was eating this way? Maybe the better question is, who didn't know? Daniel knew. His three friends knew. The attendant knew. Do you think the attendant told the chief of staff? Come on. Your boss said, no. Daniel asked you, you think you're going to... No, you're not saying nothing. You think they're going to tell the king? No. You think they're going to tell the other guys because they're going to squeal? No. Nobody knows. Think about this. Nobody else knows. Why does that matter? Daniel wasn't doing this to prove anything to anybody. This was incredibly personal. This was not public. This was a personal <coughs> decision. As far as the rest of the kingdom knew, Daniel was eating the king's steak and the king's donuts. He, they had no idea that he's only eating salad. Nobody knows. Babylonian culture believed success was a result of human effort, of human wisdom. That if you study the right things, if you're born into the right family, that if you, if you apply yourself to the right study and the right training, if you think the right way and eat the right foods, you'll be successful and this was Daniel's way of reminding himself that my success comes from God. It's just for him. It wasn't for anybody else. It was for him. Just doing it for me. Nobody else needs to know this. 
Every time Daniel looked in the mirror and saw that not only was he as healthy and as smart and as gifted, but he was actually more healthy and more gifted and more qualified and more capable, ten times more capable, he remembered, this is not my doing. I'm eating salad. This is the product of lettuce and celery and water. This isn't me. I shouldn't look like this. It was his way of reminding himself, everything I have, this is God's doing. Think about it. How prideful could Daniel have become? Come on. Daniel, he's good looking. He's young. He's strong. He's smart. He's from royalty. He's the cream of the crop. Do you think there's an ounce of Daniel that goes, a pretty big deal? The king of Babylon thinks I'm the the sharpest tool in the shed. Right? How easy for Daniel to go, feel myself. Daniel was determined not to defile himself. And when it says defile himself, it doesn't mean his body. This wasn't about being kosher. When he says himself, it means his soul. His being, he determined, I'm not going to defile who I am by believing anything about this, that this is about me. Every salad he ate reminded him my identity is found in God, not in the king's food. He was fine with them thinking it came from the king. It didn't matter. It wasn't about them. He determined, I will never allow myself to forget who I am. Your true identity can only be determined by the one who made you. You are not who others say you are. You are who God says you are. So what? So what? Five words. You determine who determines you. You determine who determines you. Every morning going to sound weird, but every morning you wake up in Babylon. This land that we live in is a lot more like Babylon than it is like Israel under King Josiah or Judah. This is not a godly nation. We wake up under a culture that tries to tell us things all day long. You live in Babylon. I live in Babylon. And let me tell you, they are not evil people that we live with. Just people who don't know about the God that we're fortunate enough to know. And they live consistent with what they know. They don't mean you harm. At least not everybody. There are people that we live with that genuinely believe that things like money and success and happiness and pleasure are what define you. They genuinely believe that those things are important. So they're not trying to be difficult to you or hurtful to you. They genuinely believe that. But Daniel knew difference. And so do we. Let me tell you who you are. You are forgiven. You are loved unconditionally. Let me tell you, it doesn't matter how you look. Let me say that again. It doesn't matter how you look. It doesn't matter what you have. It doesn't matter who you know. It doesn't matter what you can do. You are loved unconditionally. That's who you are. You are eternal. You don't have a soul. You are a soul. You've been adopted into an incredible family called the church, the family of God, the body of Christ. 
You are part of something much greater and much bigger. You are redeemed. You are empowered. You are daily being transformed into something new. You are an heir of paradise. Right? Heaven is your home. Who you are determines why you are. You are children of the living God. Let me tell you, that's who you are. Daniel ate salad to remind himself of that every day because it's so easy to forget. It's so easy to forget. Everyone around him really believed that these other things defined him, and it's easy to believe it yourself. It's easy to get up one day and just think to yourself today, man, I'm driving a... Man, this car defines me, or my house defines me, my job defines me, my career defines me, my relationships define me, right? What other people think of me, my, my friends define me, my success defines me, and it doesn't. You live in Babylon that's trying to tell you that, and God's trying to tell you, no, you're who I say you are. But it's up to you, because you determine who determines you. Sorry, told you. It's Daniel. Gets me going. It's today. Let me ask you this. What are you doing daily to remind you who you are? Daniel ate salad, not because he was trying to be kosher, but he was trying to make sure that he didn't defile himself and forget. So the question is this. Who are you listening to? Who is determining you? Who are you allowing to determine who you are? Who defines you? What's the easiest voice for you to listen to that you know is not true? Is there a voice that you just hear over and over again? You know it's not true, but it's just so hard to resist. What can you do daily to remind yourself that you are not determined by your work? That's just what you do. Is your identity defined by your success? Is your identity defined by how you look? Don't tell me our culture doesn't value how we look. I can do some Photoshop, let me tell you. I know what people do with Photoshop. Make you look however you want. We have real life Photoshop too. It's called surgery. Implants. We can do all sorts of things you want. Botox, what do you want? How you want to look. Let me tell you. You can look however you want. You can change your body. You can do all of that kind of stuff. But who you are on the outside is not who you really are. What can you do to daily remind yourself that though people look at the outside, who you are on the inside matters more? The only one who has the right to tell you who you are is the one who made you. I make something. I make something. You can say all you want that that's something else, but no, no, I made it. I know what it is. Yeah, no, no, that's it. No, yeah, it's great. I made it. I'm telling you what that is. God made you. And there's a world that wants to tell you you're something else. He goes, mm, silence their voices. I made you. But you've got to do it daily because they keep talking. They keep chattering all day long. It's a culture. Is your identity determined by the praise of others? Is it by likes and approval, what other people think? Oh, let me tell you. That's a hard one. We like being liked. Do you know what Daniel's name means? We talked about it earlier. I don't know if you caught it. God is my judge. You can't judge me. God's my judge. He's the only one that matters. What can you do to daily remind yourself that you are living for an audience of one? He's the only voice that matters. 
Even if nobody else knows, you will know and that's enough. What can you do daily to remind yourself who you are? And honestly, I, 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 w- I wish I could answer that question for you, but I can't. Because I don't know where your identity comes from. I don't know what you struggle with. So I'm not even going to try and give you all sorts of... Th- I'm not going to tell you what to do. I'm just letting you know who you are. And then it's up to you to daily remind yourself of that. Daniel chose to eat salad that doesn't mean if I eat salad, guess what? It's not going to make... You know, if, if I ate salad every day, you know what it would do? It would just make me miserable. It would not make me more clear on my identity. I mean, I would. My identity, part of me, is a, is a junk food loving person. I know I don't look like it, but I do. Like, I like steak, and I like hamburgers, and I like pizza, right? I'm not going to go. I'm sorry. But I don't know where each of you are. Are. And you don't know where I am. And there are things that I have to do every day that to remind myself, this isn't me. I'm not who somebody else says I am. I'm not who my world says I am. I'm not what Facebook or Twitter says I am. I'm not, I'm not what the media says I am. I'm not what politicians say I am. I'm not what my peers say I am. Honestly, my mom's here. I'm not what my mom says I am. She's biased. The only one that matters is the one who made me. I spoke my, my being into existence. When I spoke my name. Only God has the right to determine who you are and you determine who determines you. Daniel determined not to defile his being, his soul, by believing a lie about who he was. And that was a decision he had to make every day. So if you, like Daniel, will determine not to defile yourself. You know what happens? You just might stand out from the crowd. You ever meet somebody and you go, man, that person really is very confident. They know who they are. Nobody else really can. They don't, they're not trying to please me. They're just really an authentic person. You ever meet somebody like that and you're just, you're just struck by how unusual they are because they just know who they are? It's Daniel. He just he knew who he was. Didn't matter what everybody else thought. He knew who he was. And the same God who gave Daniel good looks will give you good looks, and he'll give you no, I can't promise that. I'm sorry. I wish I could promise that God could make us all pretty, but he doesn't. He really doesn't. No, I'm just kidding. The same God who gave Daniel good looks and a wise mind and aptitude ten times better than anyone else is the same God who's still in the favor business. God will give you favor if you know who you are. Because if you know who you are, you cannot be swayed. You can't be bought. You can't be sold. You can't be manipulated. I'm telling you, God gave Daniel favor. And in the weeks to come, we will see what Daniel did with that favor. And I'll remind you what I said in the beginning. There was nothing bad said about Daniel in Scripture. It's absolutely unbelievable what God does through Daniel because Daniel didn't think it was him. He kept eating salad, reminding himself, it's not me. It's not me. Maybe today you're sitting here thinking, I could never do that. I could never live that way. I could never do those things. Let me tell you, if a Jewish exile can eat salad in Babylon and rise to the top of the class... If Daniel can thrive in Babylon, you can thrive wherever you are. God can do anything. God can take an exiled kid and 
Give them great power. God can use you. If you will remind yourself daily who you are and whose you are. It says there were none equal to those who know whose they are. This series we call it Battle. Um, what I call it? Battles for Battles in Babylon. Battles, just keep saying battles. It'll come. Battles in Babylon. Go back to that, uh, that, that main slide, if you will, Dustin. Um, let me go back to the, the main slide. There we go. Battles in Babylon. The reason we're calling it that is because there are battles that, we, that I believe just that we're going to face. Part of the job of a pastor is to equip people for the battles that you're going to face. It's training. There are battles ahead. Young people, there are battles ahead. You're going through them now. Old people, still got battles. And the battle that you're going to fight, you're fighting it now and you will continue to fight it till the day you die as this is the, is the battle for your identity. The enemy wants you to believe something else about who you are. Because who you are determines why you are. This message, the whole point of this message is to encourage you to remember who you are and to prepare you to fight that battle for your identity. You're living in Babylon. Not bad people. But just living consistently with what they believe to be true about the world. So we don't live and sit there and go, I can't believe these people. They believe that. Can you believe that? It's completely consistent with their worldview. They're living as authentic a life, perhaps, as you. But we just know the one who made us. Let me tell you, you're going to battle for your identity, but the best news I can give you today is this. You get to determine who determines you. That's your say. You either give that to somebody else or you give it to God. You get to choose. But that's really, really good news. Let's take a moment and pray this morning. Heavenly Father, I thank you. God, first and foremost, I thank you that you define who we are. That you have said that we are your own, that we're your children, that we are loved by you, that we are not who this world says we are. We're who, we're who you say we are. Lord, and I thank you that who you say we are is special and is loved. God, and I ask today that you would help us. Lord, if there are those in here today, and Lord, I'm included in this, that we've forgotten who we are. Or maybe there are times we've just believed what somebody else said about us. Lord, if that's, if that's us today, would you, we just ask you to redefine us today. Lord, reprogram our minds. Lord, if they've become corrupt by false thinking, if our values have become askew, God, would you reorient us to the truth? Remind us today who we are. And Lord, would you compel us, each in our own way, to figure out what, what do we need to do on a daily basis to remind ourselves who we are. Help us to be determined not to let anybody else define us. Only you. You are the great designer of our identity. You made us special and unique. Help us never forget that. 
Thank you, God. It's in your name we pray. Amen. Thank you for listening to this week's podcast. We hope you were encouraged by this message. For more information about Life Tree, please check us out online at lifetreecc.com.